My message this morning is called Hold On to Your Crown. And we started this series on trajectory, and trajectory is about staying on course. And uh, this message is about trajectory, the kingdom of God, staying on course with the kingdom of God. And in, very early in the series, uh, I happened to discover something I did not know when I launched the title series of this uh, sermon, uh, and uh, that there are little rockets on spaceships that as it's going through uh, outer space, little rockets aligned around the sides of the spaceship that fire intermittently at the operator's command. And depending on what angle needs to be adjusted, these rockets fire for maybe 20, 30 seconds and push the spacecraft back onto its necessary trajectory. Ironically, and much to my excitement as I was doing my sermon preparation, and as I'm reading these scientific articles, it turns out that these rockets are called attitude rockets. I thought, they named them just for my sermon series. <laughs> See how important we are? <laughs> uh, so, and we talked about that. But the, God, the Word of God reveals things that we need to remind ourselves of that become like attitude rockets. They help to adjust us to get back on course. And so I want to start with Revelations chapter 3, verse 11 to 13. Jesus is, uh, John has been caught up into the heavens, and uh, here he is, he's hearing Jesus, and Jesus is telling him to write these letters to the churches. And he writes to seven different churches. But I, I want to just take a snippet, a segment. Chapter 3, verse 11 to 13. I am coming soon. Stop. The church has been hearing that for 2,000 years. Let me assure you, he's coming soon. And your soon could be at your last breath. And your soon could be when the heavens open and all the earth sees the Son of God coming in God's glory with the angels. But Jesus said, I am coming soon. And if he delays in your mind, it's only because he desires that nobody perishes. Amen. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Verse 12, the one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. And never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. The new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from God, and I will also write on them my new name. And then in ver the next verse, he says something. And I specifically want to say this to you. This is Jesus. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. What does that mean? 
God's saying there are some deep truths here that are hidden. So if you have ears, make sure that you turn on your spiritual hearing aids and you hear the deep truth that is contained in this passage. So many times we read things and we just gloss over it. We do it with the Word of God. We read things and really, <laughs> it's like being on a boat and you're skimming over the surface of the ocean, but there are amazing, marvelous things underneath that you, you don't see or have any idea they're there. And lots of times we do that with reading the Word of God. We skim across the surface of the pages, not realizing the revelation and depth that is hidden. And so this passage, God said, <laughs> tune in your ears, your spiritual ears, because there are things that your natural ears will miss. Amen. Jesus says two important things in this verse. Two important things. Number one, he says, hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. Now, as I was putting this message together, uh, as happens occasionally, so much revelation started to come that one sermon grew into two sermons. And so we're going to have to do this in two parts. And so this morning, the message is called, hold on to your crown. And point one, Jesus says, hold on to what you have so no one takes it. Point two, which we will look at in more depth next week, those who are victorious, I will make pillars in the temple of my God. And next week's message is called Pillars in Eternity. I want to tell you that God showed me stuff as I was writing that down that I've never heard preached and I've never seen before, but it comes from the Word of God. And it moved me emotionally so much. Seeing this love story and seeing these hidden gems that I literally broke down and just started to weep at how wonderful and how beautiful God is. And so if you're watching by live stream or if you're here today, I really encourage you, make sure you're here next week because next week I'm going to unfold concepts and thoughts I've never heard before, and I've been around a little while, especially in church circles, and I'm sure it will blow you away at the amazing, romantic, loving heart of God and the awesome things he has prepared for us. I have any takers? Okay. Number one, hold on to what you have so no one will take your crown. Jesus is warning us about a thief. Hold on to your crown so that no one takes it. Hold on to what you have so no one will steal your crown. He is talking to us about a potential thief. Satan is the master thief and he wants to rob you of your eternal rewards and your wages. He wants to rob you of what is yours for all of eternity. Here on earth, we make sure that we put our wages or our savings in safekeeping. And hopefully, it's not your mattress. I am absolutely convinced I, I had an uncle who must have had a sizable bank account in his mattress. Because whenever I needed a church check cashed, he'd say, give me a minute. He'd disappear in his bedroom and he'd come out with quite a wad of cash. It amazed me. 
Hopefully, you have your money in a safer place than that. Can I get an agreement? It says, Satan is the master thief and he wants to rob you of your eternal rewards. Here on earth, we know how to look after our stuff. I, I, I bought what I think is a really nice car. It started out as a Hyundai and a year later, the car that I bought actually became a separate company, a Genesis. It was just a model in the company Hyundai and now it did so well they've called a whole new company Genesis and now my model's called the G80. I bought some aftermarket wheels. I wanted to put my signature on the car, make it uniquely Rob Scarallo's. So I spent a little bit of money that I had to spare but after buying those rims, I put special locking nuts on the wheels because I thought if I like them that much, somebody on the street's going to like them too. You see, we know how to look after the things that have value to us. But we only ever think of value in terms of life here. And Jesus, from the other side, whoops John up into Revelation and he tells them, write this stuff down. And I want you to warn the church to hold on to what they have because a thief wants to rob them of their rewards, of their crown. Wow. Come on. Do you understand? He raptures John up in vision, lets him see facets of the future, and he takes a moment to say, listen, this eternity stuff is real, and my rewards are real, and you need to understand that the same thief who wants to rob from you on earth wants to also plunder your inheritance in eternity. So hold on to what you have so you don't lose your crown. Amen. How many of you think that might be worth paying attention to? You see, in Galatians chapter 6, Starting with verse 7, Paul writes to the church in Galatia, and he says, Do not be deceived. Now, deception is something that comes from the enemy. And he says, Don't be deceived. Don't let the enemy get in your head. Don't let the enemy get in your heart. Don't let the enemy get in your philosophy or your opinions of how life will pan out. Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man will reap what he sows. Now, we've always interpreted that scripture purely on this plane, life here on earth. But this is a principle, and principles of God are universally true of ages, of cultures, of dispensations. One principle of God is forever a principle of God. And the Apostle Paul says, don't be deceived. Don't let the enemy rob you of an important truth. What you sow, you will reap. Verse 8, whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Now he's specifically talking in this context about sowing to please your carnal, sinful nature. And church, if we don't exercise self-control, one of the fruit of the Spirit, and learn to say no to the things the soul wants, it will constantly lead us to turmoil, and it will open up doors, 
porticos and windows to the demonic. When we learn to say no to the things the soul wants and we become obedient to our spirit and the spirit of God, which is always in submission to the will of God, when we learn to do that, we will reap life. And so he says, whoever sows to please the flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. This is a principle. And so while he's talking about the soul, it's also true on another level again. You see, God is so, the Bible talks about the manifold wisdom of God. And that word manifold means there are many layers and facets. The wisdom of God is layered upon one revelation and, and it's hidden by another and another and another and another. And you barely start peeling back one revelation and all of a sudden you have a, whoa, there's more. And you peel that back and you start munching on it and devouring it. And wow, this is good. And all of a sudden, it opens you up to another whole manifestation of the wisdom of God. And so, uh, while this principle is true on this earthly realm, it is also true that if you sow for this life, you will only reap from a life that is but 80, 90 years, if that, and it's a blip compared to eternity. But if you sow... Into eternity. Don't be deceived. Don't let the devil get in your head. Don't let the devil get in your emotions and discourage you from continuing to do the things that are right and good and noble. Don't be deceived. What a man sows, he will reap. So if you sow in this life, you'll reap in this life. But if you, if you sow into eternity, you will reap in eternity. Can I get an amen, church? Come on. Absolutely. And he goes on and he says, let us, now look at the context. I just set the context for you. Now listen to what the command is. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Whoa! Praise God. Keep those attitude rockets firing so that you stay on trajectory. Don't let the enemy get you discouraged about your good deeds, your generosity, showing grace, showing patience, working for the kingdom, pouring yourself into the things of God. The enemy will speak to your body. He'll speak to your family. He'll speak to your emotions. And he'll tell you, you know what? You're overdoing it. But if in this life you were racking up wages of millions of dollars, nobody would tell you, hey, slow down. They'd probably visit to see if they could get some of the crumbs. And so Paul is saying, don't be deceived. Jesus said, don't let the enemy rob your crown. Don't let the thief steal. Don't be deceived. The master of deception is the master thief. He deceives so that he can rob, and we don't even see it coming. And so in the context of that, Paul says, don't give up doing good. 
Don't give up serving God. Don't give up working for the church. Don't work, give up on giving generously to the kingdom of God. Don't give up on showing patience. Don't give up on showing mercy and kindness. Because if you keep doing these things, you are sowing into eternity and you will reap a great reward. Verse, thank you. I need that. Verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. We have got to break out of this social, religious mindset that says, God, bless me, my wife, and uh, my family, us four, and no more. We are here to build the kingdom of God. We are here to change culture and bring culture into alignment with God's culture, the culture of heaven. Earth has done its thing for too many years. And how's that working out, by the way? Not very good. You see, you and I were called by God to be the salt. You and I are meant to flavor culture. You and I are meant to flavor society. You and I are meant to put the stamp of God on how business is done. You and I were meant to stamp the world with the smell of Jesus Christ and Christian ethics and morality and godly standard. Can I get an agreement? Don't ever stop coming to church, but don't ever stop being the church. Coming to, to church helps us, you know, iron sharpens iron. And sometimes we forget who we are and we start rubbing up against other Christians, you know. And come here, Julio, we start... You know, and they start talking faith, and I'm not really in faith, but they're talking faith, and they're praising God, and he's talking about what God did at work, and he starts talking about what God did at home, and all of a sudden, I'm like a Gillette razor blade. Sharp edges. We need this. We need this. We need this. The fellowship of believers. God knows we get enough fellowship with darkness. How, how, is it for the love of money that we'll fellowship with darkness all week and then we're too tired to come to church on Sunday? Is money what makes the difference? Then if it is, we have forgotten that God is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He is the mistos apodidome, the one who gives repayment and salary and wages. I need to be in God's house. I got to tell you, when they started worshiping, there was a segment there. Did, did you guys add a new segment this morning? Did you start singing prophetically? 
I found my peace in him. I knew it. That wasn't rehearsed, right? So the guys up the back quickly wrote it down as you started to get something in the Holy Ghost. I knew it. It bore witness to my spirit. And the first time you guys started singing, oh, I, f- I felt this razor-sharp edge coming on me. It was sharpening me. I knew it was the Spirit. I knew we were hearing from the Holy Ghost. And here it is, intervening in our worship. I'm saying, I'm taking some of that. Oh, it's making me fiery. It's making me full of the Holy Ghost. In you, Jesus, I have found my peace. Man, I love worship like that. I love worship like that. It's not putting on... (laughs) Those of you who are my vintage, it's not like putting on an LP and just let the needle do its work. It's not putting a cassette in or an 8-track or, or a CD. Uh, it, putting in a, a digital thumb drive. This is spirit. This is when we worship and we're interacting with heaven. And I can feel it. And so when we come together, there's... Yeah, we come to church, but we are the church. And when I come together with the rest of the church, I start remembering, I is the church. I is the church. I am the church. And then you get a song leader and the whole band starts singing, we believe we are who he says we are. It's like, ha-ha, ha-ha, ha-ha. That's why I'm here. Deep calls to deep. Whoa. Something inside you starts to grunt. Ha, 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 ha. The God-man in you starts to awaken. Come on now. (laughs) All right. So what is Paul saying in Galatians? He's saying, encourage yourself with the knowledge that God is a rewarder of those who believe he is and diligently seek him. Encourage yourself. Don't stop doing good. Don't give up. Don't give up. You had a setback, you got knocked out a little bit, don't give up. Don't give up on your faith. Hold on to what you have because the enemy wants to rob your crown. Devil knows how to send some people along your path that are especially ungrateful, Especially, man, they they know how to press your buttons. Buttons that are inside you that your mama doesn't know are inside you. They know exactly where those buttons are. They're like spirit demonically led button pushers. (laughs) And Paul's saying, I know all about them. Don't be Put off your trajectory. Keep doing the good you're doing because your father keeps good records. And the enemy not only wants to rob from you here in this life, he wants to rob from you big time in eternity. Don't let him steal your crown. Hebrews uh, Hebrews 11, verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he grew up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He made a mental choice. 
Oh, one heck of a choice. Yeah, do you understand? This is the dude. This is the guy who's now in the wilderness with three million grumpy Hebrew people who have been nothing but slaves up until now. Okay? They get takeaway food every night. Every night, God sends a wind and in come the quail. And they eat quail. Every morning, breakfast is laid out for them in the form of food that angels would eat. And they're still grumbling. And this is the guy, God says, you know what? I'm getting a little bit tired of these people. They're forever rebellious. They're forever complaining. They're forever this. Uh, I'm going to let you all go to the promised land, the land of milk and honey, but I'm not going with you. And this is the guy, remember, he grew up in Pharaoh's courts. And he refused the luxury of Pharaoh's palace. He'd rather identify with the Hebrew slaves. And now here he is in the wilderness. God makes him lead this three million or so Hebrew people out of Egypt. God's getting a little tired of them. And God says, go on. I'll give you the prize. Go. I'm not going with you. And Moses, again, does what he did in Pharaoh's court. And he says, God, if you're not going with us to the promised land, I'd rather be here eating sand as grits than go into a land flowing with milk and honey. Because at the end of the day, anything without you is poison. So Moses chose to be mistreated with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Next verse. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Here we are 3,000, 4,000 years later and people are booking tourist tickets to go to Egypt to marvel at a shadow of what their splendor once was. They look at ruins to marvel. And here's Moses in the height of its glory saying, I'd rather be with the Hebrew slaves. I'd rather be with the promises of God. I'd rather be with the God of heaven and earth that enjoy the pleasures and the luxuries that Pharaoh has. He wasn't just uh, taken in as an Egyptian. He lived in Pharaoh's courts. Wow. Now watch what it goes on to say. Verse 26, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as, as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking forward to his reward. I'm sorry the church hasn't preached this stuff much, but it's Bible. It's Bible. And it helps to affect our attitude and our trajectory so that we keep things in perspective, perspective, and we stay on line, on target with the kingdom of God. Can I get an amen? amen. Crowns. So are these crowns egotistical tokens or are they positions of authority? The Bible talks a lot about crowns and it says hold on to what you're doing so that your crown isn't stolen. 
So does God give us crowns so that we can be egotistical and walk around? I mean, does God give us trophies so that we can say, look at me. I mean, that contradicts everything about the character of God, doesn't it? See, I'm going to leave this on for the rest of the sermon. Two reasons. Number one, if I take it off, it'll mess up the little bit of hair that I have. Number two, if I keep this on for the rest of the sermon, you will forever see me with this crown, and you will remember your crown. Don't let someone take it from you. So are they just egotistical buttons? Are they trophies that we put on the mantelpiece? Or are they positions of power and authority? So let's look at the Word of God. Revelations chapter 19, verse 11 to 16. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. Hey, friend, that's Jesus, faithful and true. With justice, he judges war. Uh, sorry, with justice, he, he wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, his own blood. His name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him. How many of you would love to follow a person like that? That's who we're following. Riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, clean and white, coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. This is on the day of judgment. Armageddon, it's coming. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He has many crowns because he has dethroned many warlords of darkness. In fact, to use the word many is to underplay what God did. He has defeated every warlord, every title of death, every title of disease, every title of human uh, manipulation and frustration and hurt and bondage. He has stepped on the very head of Satan, and he has won the victory for you and for me. Can I get an amen? And so we see in this instance that crowns are literal. He's king of kings. He's lord of lords. It's not an egotistical crown on his head. It's not egotistical crowns on his head. He is literally king of all kings and lord of all lords. It goes on and it says, Revelations 4.4. Here's another scripture. Surrounding the throne... Now get this, surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones. Stop. It's talking about the throne of God. That's literal. Is the word of God going to start with something literal, surrounding the throne of God, and now these 24 other thrones aren't literal? They're make-believe? No way. Surrounding the throne, that's the throne of God, were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. 
We don't know who they are yet, but they're there. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their head. They sat on thrones. They had crowns. They ruled. They governed. In God's realm of eternity, life is incredible. You see, the enemy has found a way to put a veil over our eyes. The veil has been taken away from the Holy of Holies, but the enemy's found a way to put a veil over our eyes so that we only see life from the perspective of earth. And that's why we need these attitude rockets to get us back onto target so that we see life from the perspective of God's throne. Can I get an amen? amen. Revelations 21, 24 Uh, Chapter 21, verse 24 to 26, it says, The nations, this is after the new heavens, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem comes down to earth. And it says, And God (coughs) dwells among man again. And it says, The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. Last week I shared with you the parable of the minas and the guy who had one mina given to him and he produces ten for Jesus. Jesus said, well done, good and faithful servant. I will put you in charge of ten cities. We have such a, a sterile, one-dimensional view of what eternity looks like. I want to tell you that God has a purpose And the Bible calls it the unchanging nature of God's purpose. And what God had planned from the beginning, irrespective of man's fall, God has not lost sight of his plan. And what he started in the Garden of Eden, he will finish in the Garden in Revelation 22. Amen. And God's purpose will not change. And that is that he will live amongst us and life will rule without the law of death. And without any curse. We were created in his image to rule and to reign with Jesus Christ. Can I get an agreement? So we see there's going to be kings and nations and culture groups. Matthew 19, 28 to 29. The the disciples are saying to Jesus, Jesus, when's this all going to happen? And what about us? I mean, we've given up so much. Little did they know what was ahead. And they're they're asking Jesus for some explanation. And in Matthew 19, Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, stop. You just heard me say the unchanging nature of God's plan. Now you're hearing Jesus. By the way, that's in Hebrews. In Hebrews, you'll see that phrase, the unchanging nature of God's purpose. And uh, then uh, in, um, <clears throat> here in Matthew, Jesus talks about the restoration at the renewal of all things. When the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive apodidome, plus 100 times as much, and inherit eternal life. You see, we will inherit eternal life because we believed on him. It's by faith we're saved. But then God also rewards us and repays us. 
based on how we serve here. You cannot earn your way into heaven. But you can send treasures ahead, Jesus said. Store up treasures in heaven. Store up treasures in heaven. What an amazing concept. You see, <clears throat> Jesus said to the 12 disciples, you guys will also sit on 12 thrones. And you're going to rule the 12 tribes of Israel. So we already have 24 elders all sitting on their own thrones. They're rulers of something. And this is before the whole thing unfolds. And Jesus is saying, in the future, you will rule on this new earth. And the 12 of you, because of your faithfulness to me, and because of the price you paid to uh, initiate this gospel, I'm not going to forget what you've done. I'm not going to forget the fact that you laid down your life. Every one of the Thomas committed, uh, not Thomas, uh, Judas, who was the traitor, committed suicide. But of the 11 remaining disciples, 10 out of the 11 were all executed like they were dogs. They were tortured and executed. And Jesus says, you're going to sit on 12 thrones, each of you. And you're going to have crowns and you're going to rule and you're going to have authority. Stop thinking of eternity as a bunch of angels standing in a choir and forever, you know, we press the repeat button and the list of worship songs just starts again at the top. That's not what eternity's like. You see God's imagination here on earth and you see amazing creation, fantastic things. We pay money to go to these idyllic locations. Hey, that's going to be normal. That's going to be in your backyard in eternity. And the God of such a vast imagination doesn't go dim-witted or dull when it comes to eternity. We see now just a, a shadow, a fragment of what lies ahead. And everything we see here is tainted with the curse of death. It's tainted with the curse of sin. Then every curse will be gone. Death will be gone. And we will live forever with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So these crowns are literal. What I don't understand is we get the concept here on earth that if I study hard, if I go to college, if I work hard, it will increase my chances for greater financial gain and it will position me for a probable promotion. We get that concept here on earth. And then for some reason, when it comes to eternity, it's like someone just wipes that concept away from our understanding. And we never think in those terms and yet the Bible speaks in those terms. And you know why? Because the church has been seduced to preach only the gospel of salvation. The gospel of salvation specifically centers on getting you from here to there. The kingdom of God, the gospel of the kingdom of God, specifically concentrates on the unchanging nature of God's plan from the Garden of Eden in Genesis to the Garden of Eden in Revelation chapter 22. You see, this life is the testing ground. And it's a poor shadow 
of the world to come. And so to every one of you that have given and sown and given generously, whether it's kindness, mercy, grace, or finances, or time, don't give up doing what you're doing. Don't let the enemy pull a veil over your eyes and deceive you. Don't let him get in your head. Don't let him get in your attitudes. Oh, well, the church didn't recognize me. I'm sorry. We, we're not perfect. Don't let the enemy pick up on insignificant weaknesses and cause you to take a spirit of offense. You don't want a spirit of offense. Don't take the spirit of offense because the spirit of offense will take you right out of the purposes of God. Amen. It really will. There, is, there, there are demons called spirits of offense and they will do everything they can to take you out of the purposes of God. Get your little feelings wounded and hurt and maybe justifiably so, but they will leverage that thing and you will lose hold of your crown. Don't. Don't lose hold of your crown. Don't let the enemy rob you. Don't let him deceive you. If you've been working for the things of God, don't give up. God's not a man that he should lie. Everything he says shall come to pass. Amen. Kings and kingdoms will pass away, but not one asterisk, not one jot or tittle from the Hebrew language that the Word of God was written and will pass away. God will confirm everything He has said. Don't give up. Don't be weary in doing good. Continue. And for those of us who need incentive to really plow into the kingdom of God, fire up those attitude rockets. Let's get back onto trajectory. Yeah, I want to enjoy life here, but not at the expense of enjoying life to its fullest in eternity. Come on, let's stand. Is it an egotistical token? Or does God really reward yes. that well? Yes. Faith is a judgment call about the character of God. I believe that everything God says is literal. And God will reward like you have got no idea. I encourage you. The same God who brought you salvation... The same God who made you a son when you were nothing but a broken down, half-strung marionette in the kingdom of darkness. He paid a price for a wooden puppet that couldn't even dance properly to the tunes of a demonic Lord. And what turned to heartless, fleshless wood, really only good to be thrown on a fire, he took and he washed with his blood and he breathed over it and he gave it life again. 
I thank God for this salvation. I thank God for a God who saw more in me than what was in me. He calls things that are not as though they are. It's not because he saw what was in us. He chose to see something in us even when it wasn't there. And he created something. Christ in you, the hope of glory. If this story of redemption can start with such an empty, meaningless object and be as phenomenal as we all know it is, then how do you think the story is going to end? Do you really think it's going to end in shades of white and black? Or do you think it'll end in technicolor, colors we've never even seen before? Sounds on frequencies we've never imagined. Harmonies we don't even know exist. When we get to eternity, a breath of fresh air will be the first time we've ever breathed in the breath of life. If God can so magnificently paint a picture of redemption and salvation, then the picture of eternity is 10,000 times better. Jesus very specifically said, whatever you do for me here, 100 times, you will be paid back. What you do here, you get paid for. At the end of your life, if your net asset, 500,000, Take 500,000. This is God speaking to encourage his disciples. So what did he do? He lied? Or do you think he who is the truth spoke the truth? So what's your net worth? 100,000? 200,000? A million? Times 100 times, God says. Because no one will outdo God in generosity or graciousness, or abundance, or love and mercy. Church, why, why would I keep preaching this week after week? Because eye has not seen, and ear has not heard, and the mind of man can't begin to conceive. As maybe a good a job in our minds, maybe I'm doing peeling back some of the, the veils and you're starting to get wisps and glimpses. The Bible says, the mind of man can't conceive what God has prepared. Stay on target. Get on target. And don't let the devil deceive you. When they returned from the Medes and the Persians. Cyrus allowed them to go back and start building the temple. Nehemiah had a band, a small band of people. And it says, with a sword in one hand and a brick in another, they started rebuilding the temple of God. I urge you, with a sword in one hand and your daily job description in the other, 
live this life building now and building for eternity because God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. As we close this morning, if you've never asked Jesus Christ in your heart, the greatest thing you can do is say yes to Jesus. Not yes to a church or to a religious system. Yes to the man. Son of man, son of God. Every eye closed. Every eye closed. Religion will not save you. This church will not save you. But it can lead you to the Savior. Jesus said, I stand at the door and I knock and he's knocking. Today, if you open the door, he will, he will come in. While every eye is closed, if you're ready to ask Jesus to come into your heart, quickly raise your hand all across this auditorium. Wherever you are, thank you, sir. I see that hand. Thank you. God bless you. You can put it down. Is there another? Others want to accept Jesus right now as your Lord and Savior. Raise your hand. That's so good. Awesome. Awesome. Everyone repeat after me. Sir, especially you, repeat after me. And if I could see you after, I'd love to talk to you. Dear God, I accept you. Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord and my Savior. I need you. I want you. I'm yours. Forgive me of all my sins and live inside me so I can live with you forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.